Good afternoon, LBC Radio. My name is Corey Rosen, and I'm with the Story Podcast today. Today, I have an awesome guest, but before we get into that, I have some merchandise for sale. If you'd like to really support us, we have stickers, and we have hoodies coming out with the logo on the front, and the first 50 guests on the back, including my guest today, Mr. John Milosic. Born in Buffalo, New York, raised in Erie, PA, actor musician John Milo Milosic continues to recalibrate in his trajectory as a creative and performer. He taught music and theater in public and private schools for 10 years, and as he scrubbed toilets in exchange for acting and dance classes at Synetic Theater, it led him to main stage shows with them at the John F. Kennedy Center for the Performing Arts and neighboring D.C. theaters. He composed music for live performance by a gypsy punk band, a devised rendition of the Brechtian play Mother Courage and Her Children. It pays 50 bucks in a case of PBR, but there he took up the accordion and soon after earned himself a role in a two-year Broadway touring production that ran in 70 cities across the U.S., Canada, and Japan. He acted, played guitar, accordion, and foot percussion at Arena Stage in D.C., Kansas City Repertory Theater, and Baltimore Center Stage before the pandemic, but has yet to be cast in a theater production close to Lancaster. Instead, He's the ringleader of the accordion power romp rock band for adventures, Featherburn, and the one-man ensemble Milo, so- uh, Milo Solo. So close. That's okay. You can find his all of his projects in the description, whether it's Featherburn.com at, at his band site. You can find him on John Milosic or Milosic.com. That is M-I-L-O-S-I-C-H.com. And you can find all of other links in the description below. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. Are you well? I'm, do- I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited. So what got you inspired to do music? Was it as a kid or was it later on? Or Yeah, I th- later on. Um, I, never, I never did any music. I, I sang for a semester in high school, like in chorus, and that was fun. Uh, I, I became really inspired to, to make music when I was in my second year of college. What inspired you, do you think? Um, you know, it was just, I was, I got railed by Nerf guns by my housemates <laughs> <laughs> and, and I ran away into my, uh, my, my housemates room and I shut the door and I was like, well, I'm just going to stay around here for a little while, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was s- sorting through his CDs or like looking through his CDs and I saw uh, Peter Gabriel's live album and, um. And I looked through the songs, and and I remembered as a kid that the the name of the song Biko, and and like I recalled a melody of the song um, from when I was a little kid, like pulling into the driveway of my you know the house I grew up in with my you know parents. I was like on the ledge of the the car in the back seat, like you know mm. we didn't use no, never mind seatbelts. I was on the ledge of the car, uh, the the back window, you know, and I was like. My my parents were pulling in, and I remember that melody from from that time in my life, and it was like an inspiring melody. So I threw the CD in, and um, and it it was a a, a live uh live recording of a live show, you know. Mm-hmm. So like I I forwarded to Biko, and uh, you hear this drone, you know, and and the drum beat comes in, boom boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. 
And he goes, this is for Stephen Biko. And the crowd goes, ah, you know, and, 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 and I didn't know who Stephen Biko was. I soon, you know, I learned, I did some homework after that, but, but I thought to myself, I was, you know, I was like, what really inspired me about it, you know, like even before I learned the story of Stephen Biko or of Peter Gabriel writing the song was that he was dedicating the song to someone else. Mm. And at that time in my life, I was like, I had just started like making, uh, like like acting in some plays and i was struggling um to find a, a, a motivation for for being in a theater production that was greater than myself you know i was just struggling with like oh well i need more praise i need more i need people to think i'm good and really it's like if i could have gotten over myself and made it a gift mm. that would have been the answer you know at that point so it's like i was just i just had this epiphany it was like the generosity in Peter Gabriel's art that that song struck me, and I was like, I want to make music. And really, what it was was, I want to get over myself <laughs> and 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 make art that matters to people, you know, that makes a difference in people's lives. Right, and that's the 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 main problem or main issue, I guess, that hits musicians a lot is getting over yourself. Yeah, and that's yeah. that's where real music starts. Yeah, I I mean I I can't say I'm over myself. Oh no, you know it's a lifelong it's a, it's a lifelong yeah. journey for sure. <laughs> but once you make that realization, it starts. Yeah, you can start wrestling with it and making progress as you go. You know. So did you do acting beforehand or? Uh, n- you know, except for like you know the the kindergarten play. N- no, mm-hmm. I I took up acting in my in my first year of college. You know, I was an undeclared major and. Uh, I just was like, well, I'll try out for a play. And I had a good audition and, you know, got cast in a good role. And, but I remember like, I remember looking down in my first show and seeing my hands shake while I was performing (laughs) in front of the the kids. It was a kids theater production. So like, talk about not being over yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so so did you fall in love with acting then? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was really, I, I was dedicated to it. Um, you know, I got involved in every play that I, you know, that I, that I could at that point. And I mean, I guess the, the problem was that I, you know, in my second year of college, I was doing a lot of things other than uh, my, my schoolwork. I, I never missed a rehearsal for a play, but, and I, I never missed a, a party. <laughs> and, and I never missed many other things, but I wasn't actually, you know, doing well in my classes. So I got booted. My, you know, Edinburgh wow. University said, look, you know, with 1.0 and a 1.04 grade point average, you, you can't, right. nobody's going to give you any more money. We're, we're, we're putting the kibosh on that. You go figure things out, come back, matriculate. That was a word that I learned at that point, I needed to to like uh, make progress and grow like in my. I needed to matriculate in order to get my student loans back. What a word! So I had to go and earn money. Uh, I spent a semester in Buffalo working a couple of jobs. Like I was living with my father at that time, and um, when I came back, uh, I tried out for the music program. You know, I said I wanted to declare mm-hmm. myself a music major. So it was in my third year of college that I that I like took up music in any really meaningful full way so uh from what some so what then what then did you uh did you get get into the theater program the music program program? yeah yeah i did and and you know like uh it was good i i still probably 
you know, I, I regret not being more disciplined about my study because I was a very social person, you know, and I still got into musicals and, and plays uh, afterward. And I completed, you know, I did well academically, but like when I look back on it, I, I just needed to have like, I should have hunkered down at the piano and gotten my reading skills more because I was already way behind, you know, like the other students who had like picked up music in high school and like studied you know, so it's like when I graduated, I got my first teaching job. I went to, to, I went to Bangkok, Thailand for for a job because um, my I failed my my teacher's exams because I couldn't I couldn't read. I was you know like okay. I couldn't read music. And I could read you know, but like I was a, a poor sight reader. So like right. part of it was was being uh, literate, musically literate, and musically competent. And I only had two years really of music study, so I wasn't really ready. I got hired, you know, and I did a good job. I was always a good teacher. And, you know, like I put put my heart and soul into being creative and being, you know, developing relationships with my students and everything. So like I made up for it in in good ways. But like as far as being an actual like musician, I was I was not very competent and not very comfortable. You know, I could play guitar and I could sing well, but it like it took me longer to like learn a simple song for my students. But anyway, you know, um, uh, I, I came back, I took my NTEs and I finally passed them, you know, like I had spent a year teaching in Thailand and I got a job, uh, at another school in, in, in Southern Maryland, which sort of led to me getting another job in, in the DC area, you know, so that's what landed me there. And, uh, for those of you in college that, uh, <laughs> you really should take the time and cause listen, listen to our mistakes that we made and don't make, don't repeat those same mistakes. Uh, because I wish, I immensely wish I had listened to, we're, we're supposed to do, here we were supposed to do at least seven hours minimum a week, uh, practicing. Minimum. 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 Some people do 30. I don't know how they do it, but they do. Um, but still, I barely did one. Mm. Besides, mm. uh, I, I barely did any, and I almost got booted out too, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only what my, my composition uh, studies that really saved me from uh. getting kicked out, because I was going to get kicked out because I had like a 2.0 GPA in my uh, percussion studies. Oh. And I was, uh, not that I didn't like percussion, it's just, well, first off, I'd have to come to the chapel from wherever on campus I was, whether I'd be in Peterson Hall, which is like, for me, like five miles away. For, which is not, it's like a, it's like a 10 minute walk, but you know, you don't want to have to get up out of your room and then walk 10 minutes in, in the snow or in the rain or in the blistering sun. I just don't want to do it. Uh, I was lazy and it's something you had, you should really work on. It's cause it's discipline. It's building a discipline. Music is a discipline. If you want to get better at music, you have to be better at disciplining, disciplining yourself. I'm curious, how did you get the job in Thailand? Uh, it was a private school, uh, like, job site, you know? So, like, I was led to the private school job site, and there were jobs all over, you know? There, there were lots of other... I had interviewed with a job, with a school in New Jersey. It was like... Um, but the reason I went to the private school uh, job website was uh, because I'd failed my NTEs, and I wasn't going to get a teaching job until I was certified, mm. you know? So in order to get certified, you need to pass your NTEs, and I just didn't, I just didn't have everything together yet, you know? So you found a job in Thailand and decided I'm going to go to Thailand. Yeah. I didn't even know where Thailand was. I thought it was the place in, in, in Indiana Jones. I, cause I knew it was in Bangkok. So I misheard, I like heard in my, my, in my head, 
Pankot Palace or whatever it was in Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom where he went. So that was the picture that I had. But, you know, I was ready to go. I'd never gone anywhere, you know, and it was it was hard. You know, there was culture sure, shock. I'm and very sure. I wanted to come home and, you know, by October. Um, but uh, but I stuck it out and it was it was it was it was great. You know, like we would we would the teachers there, we would pack our bags on Thursday night and leave them at our, you know, at the, at our, at our hall, in our hallway, in our like condos. And we would, the bell would ring on Friday and we would run to our, you know, our condos, grab our stuff, change. And then we would head straight to Bangkok, in, you know, in town and take a, a train down to the south and then like buses and, you know, planes, trains, automobiles all the way down to the south. And we would catch a ferry uh, and then by, by like, you know, maybe two in the morning, we were on a tropical island, oh. you know, like sipping lassies. You know, we would have to sleep. Right, we would wake course. up, and for the rest of the weekend, we were like on an island, you know? That's awesome. It was wonderful. Yeah. Uh, do Thai speak English well? or? Uh, you know, they, they, they've invested in it. Like, gotcha. they've always been investing in it, at least since I remember, right? I'm, I'm 47, so like, I don't remember <laughs> long, but like, I know the American commerce and the, you know, like commercial industry has been pulling them toward. Tourism, especially, you know, they'd always right, been, you know, invested in tourism and, and learning English was always an asset for 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 Thai. Did you people. ever get to learn Thai? Or I did. I spent oh, okay. a year. Like we 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 wanted to meet girls, so we we studied pretty hard. You know, we was like <laughs> we was we were we were disciplined. Right, we were yeah, disciplined that way. You know, yeah. like for a year, I was I was pretty good with the Thai language. You know, like I mean, you know, I forgot it all now. It was right, of twenty more. 40 years ago now? No, not 40. I'm 47, right? So 30 years ago or oh, something. Oh, you were like, like seven. No, it was, I'm doing my math poorly. It was in two, 1999 and in 2000 when I was there. So Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. So you move back, you take your, your M, MTIs? NTEs? NTEs. National teacher's exams. I, National teacher exams. Yeah. And then you move, you go to Maryland. Yeah. What, uh, so was that, was that your passion to teach? No, you, no. You know what? I, I, I. I was always, like I said, I, I wasn't as competent as I needed to be at that point. So it was always like, every, like the prep work took a lot of time for me. So at that point, like I, I, I did it, you know what I mean? But it was always like, um, especially in your first and second year of teaching, your, your, your lesson plans and everything take, take a lot of time. And I, I stuck it out, you know. I, didn't, I can't say like when I came back to the States, I did a great job at my first job. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Because that was still like, it was still my first teaching gig in the States, you know, which is different than different. teaching in, in, in Thailand just because, you know, at a, at a private school there, I don't know, I think private schools are a lot less persnickety about uh, curriculum. And, it's a lot less you know, I was Yeah, I was thinking up lesson plans, thinking up cool, fun stuff to do that would teach Thai kids music. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Here, it's like, okay, you're looking at the you have these choices. Yeah. And you can't do anything outside of yeah. these choices. And that for me was was hard, you know, like for for to like wrap my brain around and like and execute mm. uh for the first time it was tough, you know. And in, in, in my next job uh I got was was in um Bethesda, Maryland, and it was at another private school. And I stayed there for four years, and that was like the right, right job for me. Um, just because like they were real supportive and it was a community, it was such a a great supportive uh, community of mentors and and colleagues, you know, like that school. It was Washington Episcopal School, and I 
I miss it. There's some days I, I wonder. It's like I, I, I left to, because I wanted to, um, you know, pursue acting. So I wanted a part-time job where I could like spend more time composing music, more mm. time auditioning, more time being in theater, you know. So I went to a pu- public school um, and, and I was like 0.5 time. So I could still pay my bills. I could still, you know, uh, I still had insurance, mm. you know, and, and, and a, you know, a retirement package that I wasn't putting as much money away because you work half time, you cut that in half. But um, anyway, I, I, I wanted to... Um, you know what? What it, the reason I left that school was because I wanted to. I went to grad school. Oh, you know. So that was the ultimate decision. You know, like it was. I was thirty years old at the time, and I had taught for four years at that school. It was a wonderful school, you know. But I was always. Uh, I don't know. I wasn't getting like the roles that I wanted in the theater productions, you know. And I was like, well, I do. I need more training, you know. Mm-hmm. And like, the the training that I got at Naropa University in Boulder uh, was wonderful training, but like the like for music and for acting and for dance, you know, there, it wasn't musical theater. It was the opposite of that. It was where like the Buddhists met with the, 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 the beat poets, you know? So it was like this, um, contemplative, uh, imp- almost like a, it was a lot of it was based on improvisation, like, like a spur of the moment, very present moment, uh, creation, mm-hmm. you know? So like, it wasn't this Broadway, you know, music, right, right. theater, dance, but it was, music and it was theater acting and it was dance but it was all based in the present moment and the gifts that I took from that school the real main gifts from that uh, program were um the ability to be uh like present on stage or at an audition without like you know like freezing up it's like I just spent so much time meditating and so much time like convincing myself that this moment is not any more or less valuable than the next moment you know like that I could handle myself in a room with people that were ultimately like judging me and deciding right. on my future not judging harshly i mean right, of course but they, they want you you know the people in the auditions they want you to be that the next they it would make their job simple if, if you walked in the, and you were yep. you were the person you know so like they want good things but like still it you know it's it understandable probably, yeah. to be like oh, oh, oh you know um but i like through that training i could I could still myself, you know, and be present right, you know, for the moment and be responsive to whatever I needed to do. And then the other one, the other gift like that, that I sort of uh, became convinced of or they, they won me over with is like, whatever you want to do as an artist is what the world needs. The world does not need you to be another Peter Gabriel. <laughs> the world does not need you to, to, to replicate any other person's art. Like if you want to, if like you want to put a chicken on stage and that's your thing, like, that's your vision. You know, the world needs you to be as you as you possibly can. They need the, the, the core truth of your art, you know, without you trying to be or not be anyone else. You know, that's what... Right, exactly. Because if, granted, if, if musicians could only copy each other, there'd be, there would be no Elton John, there would be no, in, no uh, Freddie Mercury, no... No Led Zeppelin. There would be no. There would be no. There would just be whatever the first made music, and that's it. Yeah. And there would be no variety. You have to be yourself, and that's not to say that you can't emulate others. Emulating others and putting your own spin on it is, it's being your. It's figuring out who you are. Yeah, I don't think we can help it. You know, like oh, right, how exactly. do we not emulate the the art that we've witnessed? You yeah. know. But it, to to create it exactly, is is a mistake in, in my opinion. Unless, 
unless you have a very particular audience. <laughs> right, sure. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's that, of course. Right. Yeah. But hearing the same same way that House of the Rising Sun played a thousand times, it gets a little boring after yeah. a while. And playing it the same way also gets boring <laughs> after a while. <laughs> so I, um, so you what made you, so you decided to go to grad grad school? Uh-huh. Uh, what different challenges did you find there? Ah, gosh. You know what? Uh, when I think the the. I don't know how I phrase this. I think like one thing that I that I came into that I also like became aware of that I wasn't aware of. You know, even living in DC for four years is like I we started uh, taking apart race, you know, and, and racism with critical right. race theory, and and I don't know. I I, I I feel ashamed, but also like before before that, I thought that racism was was bigotry. At least this is this is my like vocabulary of it. So like if you guys are more educated on it than I am, you know, like just have grace with me, you know. Um but my take on what racism was was someone who was had hate, you know, who had ill will toward other races. But like learning there like at Naropa, uh there was a component in our in our curriculum that was um it was just called critical theory. But we took apart race a lot, and like I just started. One of my uh, colleagues and one of my classmates, um, a, a black man, struck. He like he walked out. You know, he got into a, a heated discussion with some of the the other students. You know, and the students they were maybe as aware as I was. You know, and they we were uneducated. You know what I mean? So he said, "I'm not coming back to class until you guys do some some work." You know, you guys have to have to do a little study, do a little research and figure out what race and racism in, is. And and that was a stand of critical resistance that made a huge different in, difference in my life because I cared about this man, you know, and I didn't like view myself as a racist, but I had, you know, I, I participated in a racist system without uh, awareness or or I wouldn't say care. I mean, I would care, but like in the way that like if you're not working against the current of racism and oppression, not just like racism, but sexism and heterosexism, all the all the you know, the things that like as a heterosexual white male, you and I, you know, that's assuming any anything about you that I just assumed. I don't know. So like I'm just saying, like, if you're if you're not working against that with action and awareness and time and effort, like you're sort of you're sort of part of the flow of it. You're the current. You're being complicit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's like if you don't know, it's just your responsibility to find out and do some work. So like that spurred me to um to to start reading about it, and it was like it opened up a whole new world of awareness that I was I was like oh. Dang it! You know, like I, I'm, I'm, I was 32 years old at the time, and I was like, man, you know, I, I could have done so much more. So like that led me to I produced this anti-racist white guy theater piece when I got back to DC because I was moved to like mm-hmm. to do something about it, and and like you know, it's probably like to be honest, if like I think 
for the people of color in the audience, I wasn't saying anything new. They were like, yeah, and? Right. You know? And then to the white people, it might have struck a chord like, oh, or, or they could get in an argument with me about it. You know, I had big blowout fights with my dad about race and racism, you know, just because like he's old school, old boy, you know what I right. mean? And like the stuff that they like that comes out of their mouth was just like, it was grotesque. And it, like after I had learned a little bit about it, you know what I mean? But anyway, it, it changed my life. So that was like, I suppose that was a struggle, you know, is like coming into myself as like a more aware, uh, anti-oppressionist, like I'm a, a more aware ally right. and I'm not perfect. I still fall short. You know what I mean? I have the luxury to duck in and duck out of it whenever I want to. And I'm not like always driven. You know what I mean? Sometimes mm -hmm. I just watch TV. You know what I mean? But like it, it gave me a new outlook on life and art and art making. So that challenged you uh, musically. It made you, it made you spurred you into action. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And theatrically, you know, so yeah. like I wrote that play and then there are a couple like there are featherburn tunes that like have to do with, you know, with gender, with race, you know, it's not all politically driven, but like, it's part of my art now. It's on my mind. It's in my heart, you know? So it's like, it's in the words, it's in right. the music, you know? Um, yeah, I got you. So what was the experience like writing that play and having it performed? What were some challenges that you faced going into that? Uh, and th this could be non-political as well, just just mm. just challenges that you would didn't expect to happen. Sure, because uh, putting writing on and putting on a play is a that's a big feat. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I had a, I hired a director. I got a grant from the Montgomery County Arts Association. You know, so I took that money and I hired myself a director. Um, uh who, who like, uh, took me through, like, writing prompts. He's mm -hmm. like, you know, uh, write down as many moments that you remember with your father, you know, and go. And he, you know, five minutes. So I would write, you know, and then we'd see, you know, 18 memories that I, like, conjured up. And then, uh, and then I would write out more of that. I would elaborate on the story. So like there was a lot of material that that um that we needed to to leave out. And then it was a one man show. So like oh. not only like was uh, was I I had all this text to memorize. They were my stories, but it was like a hefty amount of it was a 45 minute show and that's all all me, you know. Wow. So I also wrote some songs on piano and I was a hack on piano and I tried really hard, you know, really hard, but um I just didn't have the, the 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 competency to play it to execute it, you know, like perfectly or mm -hmm. even even super well. You know, some of those songs I could still stand to practice. You know what right. I mean? Um, and 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 two of them went on. There's a you know I have a solo album called If uh, that I released, and two of those songs are on there, um, and both of them are piano. But like you know, I got. It wasn't a live audience. I could right, say, no, that wasn't that wasn't good enough. You know, I take that section again. It was just a lot of material to really wrap, like uh, wrap myself around and be present and embodied. You know, delivering. You know. So how does one write a one man show? That's, that's I've never 
granted, I, I've heard of them, but I've never been to one. What is, is just is it just a monologue the entire time, or? Well, I I told stories, right? You know, most of it was stories, and then I like made stuff up too. Like I remember, like there were these like commercials that I made up that were like kind of funny, and like looking back, some of them were 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 you know pushing f- like wait you know pushing buttons, you know, because they right. were making fun of racists actually. And making fun of like the racist that is or was me, you know, like the ignorance and and um, so so uh, I, I I forget I forget the actual the, the question. Uh, what uh, what is a one man oh, show? Oh, oh, like, oh yeah, I mean I would recommend hiring a director like or and a writing coach. Somebody could help you. Like this gentleman, his name is Reggie Kabiko, and and. I haven't been in touch with him for a long time, but you know, I I would definitely still consider him my friend. But he was a like a, a stream of consciousness, like a, a like spoken spoken word artist. Oh, so okay. he coached me to like get the material up on its feet in different ways to like uh, to rattle it off as fast as I could. Now and then, maybe he he you know he had the outside eye. Like I think the the, the hardest part about um, about structuring a show like that is because is that I'm so close to it, you know what I mean? And you yeah. think like like looking back on it, you know, so many years ago, it's like it's easy to see like oh this is where that structure could have gone to make it a better show or but like when you're up close to it, it's and you're still responsible for creating 20 more minutes of material or 30 more minutes of material. It's hard to tell like what is worth telling. hashing out. Yeah, yeah, what is worth telling? Yeah, so. Um, I would I would definitely like recommend find someone else who knows what they're doing to coach you through the process and say like you know like this gentleman he's a wonderful artist and uh and he had an an eye for like okay you got to tell that story you got to unpack that you know yeah it's it, uh having written my own uh musical uh granted it's not a one man show at all but I could, I, I definitely understand that you definitely need to have more people have input than not. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, I've been, I've been having read throughs since what, 20 and 19, 2019, uh-huh. this is, uh, before the pandemic. Uh, it feels like years ago now because it is. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but it was a special, yeah. special. Time. It was a weird time. Yeah, yeah it feels like 2018, 2017 mm-hmm. was like 10 years ago, more than just five now. I can uh, understand it. Right. I can understand uh, it. So, but yeah, it's invaluable because when you're so close to something, first off, you only have, you have your ego that's like attached to it, right? Mm-hmm. You ha- mm-hmm. You're like, I don't want to get rid of that or I don't, I don't think I need to expand on that. But then you have your, the, you have your own uh, vision in mind and that, your ego attached to your vision because it's mine. It's mine. I don't want to mm-hmm. change it. It's mine. Yeah. Uh, to have someone else that can sit back, critique you, and have and ha- force you to think of things other ways is invaluable. Yeah. So was that? How long did you stay at, oh, in DC for for the, at that uh, college uh, university? Well, the the university where. Uh where I like studied critical race theory is in Boulder, Colorado. So I, I was in DC or the DC area for about five years. And then I left for two years to go there, got, got that graduate education, came back and made that play in DC where I spent another five years, like still 
teaching and uh, and making theater like on the side and in the summers. Gotcha. So so I'm yeah okay because. In my mind, yeah. I, I thought the critical race theory was at the uh, the the Buddhist. The it is. It it was. Oh, That's it was. where I studied that, that, and then I brought the I brought that God. learning back and and was moved to make a show. Like in fact, like there were a couple musical pieces that I wrote uh, at Naropa that sort of gave birth to it. In the summer, the summer be- between my first and second year there, it was only a two year program. Mm. Uh, when I came back to DC, I had this. <laughs> I should tell you, like, what spurred the whole piece was this dream that I had. Um, and I, 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 I dreamt that um, I was on the eastern shore eating, eating like, dining with my, um, with my sister. And um, it's like this ritzy place, you know, like uh, yachts and things like right. that, you know. Like and, Ocean City. Yeah. And, you know, so my, sister's, uh, my sister is um, across from me, and she's telling me about uh, – well, you know, you should you should save for retirement. You should um, you need to think about in, you know your bills. You need to think about establishing yourself and getting like you know. And this is like the, I guess the the adult in me or my father and my sister. These people who care about me, you know, like want to see me like with some stability, mm-hmm. you know. So like I'm talking with her about that and 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 but I'm not really interested in it. Right. <laughs> so outside the window behind her is a. a, a this great sailing race is about to begin. Mm. This race with these, you know, those 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 giant uh, boats that like they tip over. Like and they're Charlie like, Brown race for your life. What have you ever seen that? You know, Charlie Brown race for your life, the big sailboat race. No, no, <laughs> ah, it's a great movie. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great one. You should check uh-huh. that out. Okay, but it, big sailboats that rock all over the place. Uh huh. Well, these are those ones that are like these streamlined ones that are like oh, they lean you, over oh, and they I got, got you. you know, yeah, the, yeah, the guys yeah, are, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, you know, and they're like, so it's that's about to, that, yeah, that's about to start behind her, right? So I get up and I walk past her and I go outside and I register for this race in my dream, right? Right, of course, yes. I, I don't have a boat. This is a I don't have a crew. I don't have a team. I don't have anything, but I'm in, right? right. Starting shot goes off. Bang. Right. Yes. I'm like, well, now what do I do? Right. So I go Stop back swimming. up to the <laughs> <right>? <laughs> I go back to the restaurant and I look up on the the wall of the restaurant and, and I take these two antique pe- pe- these two pieces of this antique ore and I put them together in my hands and I hold them up above my head and then they it lifts me off the ground and I, I float past the rest of the diners and I go out past the porch of the, the second story of this thing, and I'm like hanging off of this oar, and it starts to pick up speed, and I go out um, like over the, the sea, the, past the shoreline, you know, and I start picking up speed and picking up speed, and I'm passing all of these boats, you know, these like, you know, with everybody who does have their act together, you know, and I'm just zooming <laughs> past these, you know, they're like underneath me, and then I get to this, um, I come up to this, like I see this island up ahead, and as I approach it, the, the land level comes up to meet my feet, and then I start climbing up this hill. And, um, and these native children, it's like this rich soil, and I'm like starting to, this is where all the other boats are going to come and land, right? I'm ahead of the mm-hmm. game, right? Um, and I start climbing this, uh, this hill of this like large, this, I, I'm just rambling about my dream, but I uh, feel I should finish it off, right? Just yeah, so, because yeah, yeah. this is what, um, what spurred me to start this race piece this theater piece like this was the the seed that mm-hmm. began it all you know um 
And so I climb this, I'm climbing this hill and I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have any food. I'm thirsty. I'm like, what am I going to do? This race is going to be two days long. It's like one of those epic things right, that like, yes. you know, <clears throat> you hit checkpoints and then, yep. you know, so I'm like, I don't have anything. Right. So as I'm climbing this um, hill, these native children come and they meet me. Right. And they're like, they're, they're like, come on, come on, you can do it. And they say, open your mouth in their own language, mm-hmm. open your mouth. And I'm like, ah, I open my mouth and they pour in these like juices and waters, like these life-giving nutrient drinks, you know, the sustenance, they mm-hmm. feed me, you know? So I like have the energy and I get to the top of the hill and I'm like, thank you. And they're like, no, get going, go. We need you to win this race, you know? So I get to the end of this, um, I, I end up uh, like, going into this youth hostel that's all full. Everybody's like checked in there. It's overflowing. There are people like sleeping in the hallway and there's no room. So I go past and I, I find this big mansion of these like wealthy people that just like left town on the dime. They just left pizza boxes open. They were just like, we're going. Ah! And I go into their, their house uh, and I end up like ordering takeout food or, you know, delivery food. And I'm watching TV on one of their beds and I'm like, well, okay, this is the first leg of the race. What's the next leg? So I ended up taking a, I had this kalimba and I wrote this piece out in a, in a monologue form and I played this kalimba pattern and I told the story of the dream. That was like one moment of the, the race piece, which well, actually became one at a time uh, that you're going to play. Oh, the, okay. The Fetterburn song. Cool. That's, you have some elaborate dreams. Well, it was, it, you know, I didn't, it wasn't like, I, I don't have dreams like that every night. It was like, right, I woke course. up from that and I was like, oh my gosh. Like, it was, it was a transformation dream. It was a right. quest dream, you know? So like, I just remembered it, you know, and I was, uh, I needed to get it down. You know what I mean? It, it like, it, it was calling me. <laughs> That's wild. I, I, oh, I can barely remember dreams. It's like an only. The only dreams that I remember very clearly are my nightmares. Oh. Because I got some really uh-huh. consistent nightmares. Oh, really? Yeah. I, it always starts out really friendly. But, oh. but, the, but the person that's like, so it's like hide and seek, right? Uh-huh. But, but I, I, in my dream, the, I, I can tell when I'm having a nightmare whenever I'm, I'm, I'm like starting to have oh, a nightmare. Oh, I see. Because I, the person that's chasing me is, is already creepy in some form or way. Uh-huh. It's just, it's just, but it's innocent right now. Uh-huh. And I know if I know, I know if I keep letting the dream happen, it's just going to turn worse and worse and worse and worse. Uh-huh. And I let it because I, I don't know, like maybe I'm a masochist or something. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, you, there's a certain amount of helplessness that you're not helplessness. Like just, you're at the whim of your subconscious exactly, mind. Yeah. But I'm always, well, I'm really good at taking, I'm a very light sleeper. So I'm very mm-hmm. good at, uh, waking myself up uh-huh. but it's it always it's a, it's a chase scene and then it gets you know hide and seek gets creepy and now i'm being chased for my life yeah yeah all that kind of stuff so it's it's wild the stuff that we, we remember of a dream. i wonder yeah. if it's telling you something well i think you should if you ever have the gumption that's another to, good word to, <laughs> if you ever have the gumption to um the you know the the, the presence to like uh just stop and let the entity catch, catch you and turn. I I I'm pretty confident that if you face up to it, it's gonna transform before your eyes. I wonder. It it I I'm I wonder. pretty confident that that's what's gonna happen. You know, like we don't we don't always have the consciousness in our dreams to like 
make decisions like that. But if you've got it in yourself to like program yourself somehow to just be like, okay, what are you going to do? It's not going to do the thing that you thought well, it was going to do. Course, it, it's going to like yeah. give you a gift. It's going to give you this insight. And if you can write that down, that's going to give you some insight. Maybe. You know? Maybe. I'm putting my money on it. I, I, I'll, if I can, I will. I'll update you on any, <laughs> right, any other right. further dreams. So that, uh, what did that piece for you? Did that further your career at all, or did that gain any notoriety? <laughs> no, I don't think so. No, I think I don't think it like. Uh, I don't think I. I don't think it was a. It was a that first round of it. I don't think it was like ready. I don't think it was like a a, a wonderful show. Mm. There was insight in it. There was a white guy trying to reckon with his own privilege and you know, existence as a, as a white guy in our society, you know what I mean? So there was, there was that, but it like, was it stupendous? No. If it was stupendous, would it have probably, you know, done more for my career? Yeah. But it was also like, it was a project where you learn, you know, if you don't have your MFA, your, 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 your spiritual theater MFA comes from your solo piece. I think you're symbolic. You know what I mean? It's not a piece of paper, right, but it's yes. like a, you, your teeth are cut on, on the compression yeah. of putting together that work. Right. So what was next for you from there? Um, well, I was also like, I was making theater with other companies, you know? So like I, I, that was at that point soon after that piece or like alongside it, like I got commissioned to write that, that music for the Brechtian piece, you know, it was this company in DC called Dog and Pony DC. And they were wonderful. They were activists. They were like, the show was a, like a, supposed to be a, like a mimic of a tent revival um, with, with, you know, shouts and, you know, like audience participation that the, the, the actors were all to like Brechtian, Brechtian theater is like, uh, it's known for having broken the fourth wall. It's when, you know, I mean... Uh, Have you ever seen Shakespeare Abridged? No, no. Oh, I mean, Shakespeare that, that, does it, of course. Like, he was... No, I, this is a specific show. It's okay. on YouTube. Uh -huh. It is the funny... It's three guys mm. performing all of Shakespeare's stuff. Uh -huh. And it is the funniest thing in the... And it's a lot of audience participation. Uh -huh. Oh, cool. Uh, and that's why I... Ref but if you haven't seen it, oh, it's so funny. Mm. It's like, okay, I'll check it out. Yeah, well, I'll, Shakespeare Abridged. Right, the Snoopy... Race for Your Life or Charlie Brown Race for Your Life yep. and Shakespeare's Abridged Works. I got it. It's on my list. Yeah. So, uh, uh, okay. So, uh, the director wanted gypsy punk music and I hadn't heard of gypsy punk music. You know, I was like, well, just a songwriter, you know, and she knew me as a songwriter. Mm. So, the, in Brechtian shows, um, one of the elements is he, he write, he's written lyrics. So, the director's job is to find a composer that can write music to the lyrics. It's gotcha. open-ended, you know, and there's not a note written in that, uh, in his script, you know what I mean? So it's all open to the interpretation of the director and the director's team, hmm. you know? as I mean, a lot of shows are, but like, except like when you're talking about musicals, there's a score. Right, it's course. like no score, just words. So my job was to take that and, and you know, and hash it out and put in music. So she wanted gypsy punk music. So she turned me on to Gogo Bordello, Tom Waits, 
Uh, the Decemberists, uh, Beirut. Beirut, yeah. I know there was more. Devochka. Just because those guys have, if I mean, Gogol Bordello was like, for me, that was the seminal, you know, gypsy punk band. And I'm even gathering that the word gypsy is a racial slur. Oh, yes. So, like, here we go. Like, sorry. And so, Roma, punk right. music, right? Like, even though they build themselves that way, right? So, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it's it's a weird, it, it, in America, it's not typically mm. in such a way. Mm-hmm. But other ways. Yeah, other, other yeah, ways yeah. Anyway, to, right. to like, you know, move forward, like, I played guitar, I MD'd the thing, and um, uh, she, my director found a drummer, a bassist, um, and uh, a violinist, and uh, two accordionists, because the one accordionist couldn't make some days, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So there were two accordionists that were playing in this, because she wanted accordion, you know, and I wrote these simple songs, there wasn't a bridge in the thing. Because I didn't find any bridges in any of the music that I was, you know, it was just like, nor was there like a lot of space for it in the, in the, the uh, libretto, the, in, in the words, you know, in the text, you know, like it was just, but I put a lot of shouts in there. I put these simple repetitive songs and, and we had this ensemble of that would shout this shout, you know, like gang vocals and, and then the actors would step forward and sing one of the songs. And then this person character would step up and sing that song. You know what I mean? Just like a, a musical. But we, instead of like uh, a pit, there was a live band, a rock band. You know what I mean? Or a, a Roma, you know, rock band. Right. You know, so like after, the show was, was great. It was, it was wonderful. And it did what, what, what we wanted it to. The audience was moved. It was like, uh, it was really an anti-war message. It was just about the capitalists who fueled the war and took advantage of all the people that were underneath them right. to, you know, and I, and, um, but after the show was over the, the band, we, we liked each other so much that we just kept on playing on. We're just like, all right, we're going to keep, we're going to keep playing. We had fun time. We're, you know, and, uh, the accordionists were busy. They were working. Mm-hmm. They were like, oh, we got to go, man. We, we can't stay around for this band. Sorry. So I was like, well, I could, I could play the accordion. I could learn. I could figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it wasn't long until like that, like the accordion has given me a, like has led to a lot of opportunity oh, for me. I am sure. Yeah. And the next thing I know, I was on a, on a national tour, you know, and it wasn't the accordion that like, I couldn't, I, I wasn't even good at it at that point. I could mm. sing well. I was like a folk tenor, like an Irish tenor. Uh, voice and you know like I it's debatable whether whether I'm a tenor or a a baritone I'm probably a baritone but I could sing in that style you know Mm -hmm. so it was like my singing like sort of an untrained like I said I even like when I took up music I was not great at it you Mm -hmm. know what I mean like talent and desire or some talent and and desire yes but like was I good no right you know but I got a I got I got land you know it was like it was like when I was auditioning for that piece, you know, like uh, I had to play accordion. I had to play these difficult pieces on accordion. And I was like struggling, learning, like spending all of that time just on the chance that I would get a part in this show, right. you know. So like they actually found another accordionist, a ringer, that that was much better than I. And they they hired me as like the, the, the singer, the musical narrator, like in Burl Ives' uh, Burl Ives in the Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer Christmas special. Like that gotcha. was my part in this show called Warhorse. Um 
and and I, I actually only played the accordion for just a little bit, but like I could sing like they need. I was that guy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I was particularly well prepared. It wasn't that I was like. I was dedicated enough to try very hard at the audition, you know, like that I had. And I was present at the audition too from back mm-hmm. from that Naropa thing. And I, and I was like, well, the heck I'll play the accordion. That was like also the gift from Naropa is like, if you want to play the accordion, the world needs that, you know? So like those things led to, to that, but like it was, it was a lottery that I won to get on that. And then when I got out of that production, when I landed you know, having been on this giant tour, I went to New York and I said, oh, well, I'll just go and get more roles. Just go to Broadway. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and it was like, well, duh, that's what you do when you finish right, a Broadway exactly. tour. Yeah. And I got my tail handed to me. I'm sure. You know, like yeah. handed to me. And, I, and I, I've since, you know, like earned more earned theater, place, you yeah. know, like, but it was like, oh, these guys who are auditioning are are top. Are, they're yeah they're, they're they're top of the line i want to say like bad right bad yeah. behinds yeah they, yeah it, people don't realize that broadway is the probably the global spot for theater if you're good at theater you're going to go to broadway sure yeah and that, that those like you're dealing with world-class musicians at that mm-hmm. point yeah and and actors and that, you know? yes that's what you're saying yeah yeah, yeah. I, I consider actors musicians as well but i guess well i guess they do do plays there as well so maybe yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's like, this is like sort of what I've come to the conclusion of like, if I'm going to bill myself or like push for myself, like in theater, like paid theater opportunities uh, to go audition for anymore. When I go to New York, it's for actor musician jobs. It's for somebody who they need can like handle some Shakespearean text uh, decently enough, you know, like I'm no expert, you know, but mm-hmm. I can speak well. Um play the accordion and guitar and sing. Yes. You know? So it's like if you can do all those three things, you can compete in the New York circuit. circuit. You know what I mean? I don't go out for everything anymore. I just like Yeah, it's it's incredible that uh granted I haven't the theater world that I know, it's the three talents that you need to have is dancing, mm-hmm. singing, yeah. and acting. Mm-hmm. Now I'm now that I'm uh noticing uh, or expanding my experience of theater, uh, it, it's more of you have to add add musician to that, and then you have like the the quad factor, quadruple yeah. talent, and then they're then there though too. They're out there. Those guys. Oh, are I don't doubt that. <laughs> I know. I know of a woman who can dance while playing the violin. You know how hard it is to dance <laughs> while playing the violin. Well, you know. What I mean? yeah. I, yeah. They're out there, and they're and they're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, it, we're kind of running out of a radio radio time, but we will keep going live on Facebook. So you said uh, once upon a time, or once one at a time, was from the, your uh, the the one man show. What what was what was that show, it's show called? Called the race. Called you know? the race. And gotcha. Yeah. So what is it? What is this song? What's the message? Oh, that's a tough one. I I think it's a call to it, a call to courage to adventure like um the you know like in the in the beginning of the song there's just the the din of the it's straight from the dream you know it's the din of the dining in the restaurant i had my my bandmates speak this text you know just like just to create a din and then i say outside the window behind me or the 
the window behind uh, this huge sailing race, you know, off the deck overlooking the shore. And then the chorus says, uh, the water wide, the wind we ride, the story waits, the starting shot fires. Mm-hmm. So it's basically like a call to like, to go forward, to have courage to, you know what I mean? I don't yeah. know if I meant for it to be like that, but that's what the song turned out to be. Well, with all that said, that is One at a Time by Mr. John Malusic. The starting shot fires. I reach up and take from high on the wall a long, antique oar. In the clasp of my hands, it extends into a makeshift sailing device. I hold it above the fin behind the point straight ahead and close my eyes. Like some sail, it catches wind and lifts me off the ground, outside the open window and off the deck, overlooking the shore, one at a time.
that was One at a Time, uh, written by John M- Milosic, but performed by his band Featherburn. Yeah. So uh, where that was really cool. So that the kalimba, that was the kalimba they were talking about. That melody that you had in your head. Uh-huh. That's awesome, man. That's what a unique piece. <laughs> how how what was it? What was it like to record that 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 like uh, uh, that part? <laughs> um, the team that I had um, at, at, on Featherburn at that time were su- superb musicians. They this was my first rock band so they were like taking me to school mm. you know i thought oh i'm just gonna you know play sort of that roma uh music and i'll you know find a band that so these guys were central pennsylvanians you know what i mean <laughs> and they they had lots of knowledge and lots of expertise on rock music so it was a great alchemy actual mm. actually you know but like uh i was also from a theater you know, background, background yeah. you know, so it's like I, they, sometimes it was, I had to really pull, so to get that, that vocal thing that was going on, they weren't into it right away, you know, it was like, it was, it was, it was hard, it was like, was well, this necessary? <laughs> <laughs> that is the main you question know? anyone asks the composer, <laughs> is that necessary, is it really? <laughs> yeah, so really, like, we had to slow it, slow it down, you know, right, and you know, yeah. you're, music teachers tell you you know like if you can do it, do it slow, slow you it can fast. yeah you can speed it up but until you do it slow you're not you're gonna stuck. have much of a chance so like really it had to be like you know this was all offbeat yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but they, they they bucked it up you know they did it eventually they they, they came through like all right know? john <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> which which is you know like my team right now uh we had a gig on saint patrick's day and we've since like we're looking for a drummer so if you know somebody that can play stuff like that plus the rest of featherburn stuff you know send them my way we're we're in the middle of our third audition um audition like uh round of auditions you know mm. we did one last year one in october and then now here we are again you know we're no, it was October, then April, then now. You know what I mean? So it's like just to find the right drummer that can handle this stuff and um, and is on, also on board for some of the wonky stuff, you know, because we've definitely turned off musicians that have been like, no, this isn't this isn't for me. This is, you know, I just want to play rock music, you right. know. Or 4-4 four, four music, yeah. straight, straight up. Yeah. Whether it's too hard for them or whether it's just not, not their style, bag, yeah. you know, like that's probably more likely. I think there are lots of competent musicians out there, but like to get the right blend of somebody who's like hard is they're like, yeah, this is what I want to do, which, mm-hmm. you know, my team right now, all but we're just looking for that last component, you know, like those guys are in, they're, they're signed up, they're, you know, we, we play soprano recorders for one song when I tell a story. So they're, they're, they're in, you know, right. and our, our St. Patrick's Day gig was the one that they were like, Okay, I see. I see where we're going with this. Right, we're in. You know, so like, I thank them from the bottom of my heart for like getting on board with that. Awesome. So we have another one of your songs, "Hiding in Love." Tell me about this one. Uh, another. Uh, it was a piece like that I started writing before. Like a lot of the songs that I write, uh, many of them, not all of them, but like take a long time. You know, like I I wrote the beginnings of this piece in um when I was. Uh, participating in a theater workshop uh, 
at this theater in DC, the DC area Forum Theater. It's actually in Silver Spring, just outside. Oh, yeah. And um, and I like it was a short piece, uh, Forum One Acts or something like that. And I created a sort of staged this show about this uh, outcast sort of guy that's looking for love, you know. And I wrote these verses um, that applied to him, like when he was a babe, when he was a boy, when he was a young man, and when he was a man or something like that. And there were four verses that, but I drew from it, like I, I have a nephew who I, who I care very deeply about and who I like have spent a lot of time. So like I contributed to raising him, you know, I'm not his dad, but like right. where it's a village and I'm definitely, you know, big part of it. Yeah. Sure. Right. Right. So part of it was about like when, when I when I was carrying him around, the reason we're so close is when, when he was, um, when he was just a spud, you know, I would get down on the ground and, you know, just mix it up with him. Yeah, and, yeah. and yeah. And he would come over to me because I would pick him up and put him on my shoulder and everybody else put him on their, their mm. hips, you know? So like in the, in the song hiding in love, I say a breathing dirigible for laughing and wailing. So he was like floating, you know, he's either on our hips or on my shoulders you know what I mean? So that's like where that came from. So like a lot of it is like stages of my life and of his life, like sort of in parallel, because we were into gardening as well. The second verse talks oh. about when I was a boy, the garden was spirit and 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 uh, and spoke to us through the dirt in the field. You know, and if we labored, if we are, if if in summer did our, our on her belly did our breath, did our breathing. So if we like labored, she would give us her fruit, you know, right. her, her, her food, the food that fed us, you know what I mean? So that's like verse two, but it was also like, it's like, I did this right? and he did that, you know? So like, and then the last verse it's in French. I, 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 I stole it. From, I heard uh, that. I, I yeah. Was like French. Wow. Yeah. I don't speak French, but like, uh, I, I thought it needed something different. And this verse from a, a Victor Hugo poem, uh, huh? and the, the, the poem is actually super, super sad. It's about, um, he lost his son and, uh, He's saying tomorrow at dawn, when the when the the day or the 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 sky is still white, when fog is still there, you know, mm-hmm. I will leave. For you see, I can't wait to get to you mm-hmm. any longer. And his son had died. He was going back to his son's body. Right. You know, he says, "I'll go through the, I'll go through the forest. I'll go over the mountains. For I can't, I can't be without you any longer." And that's what the French verse translates to, roughly. Um, but like I said, I, I just like, I lifted it, you know, like, so, you, right. got, you know, come get me. Uh, we'll, we'll take the song down if you need me to. <laughs> Who cares? <laughs> um, that's awesome, man. Uh, repurposing stuff to, yeah. to, to put a shining different light on it. Because mm-hmm. in this context, it's very uplifting. Yeah. It's, it's I can't be without you. Right. And you... That, that was me on tour. Yeah. When I was in that two-year tour, I was thinking about that boy. You know, so it's like tomorrow at dawn, I'm going to come and find you, you know, and right. he, you know, he's well and good. Of course, now, yeah, he's you know? awesome. It's but just, I was thinking about him. He was on my heart, him, you know. Yeah, I, yeah. Him. I miss him. Yeah. More. Yeah. But that said, this is Hiding in Love by Featherburn.
intertwined in body and meaning to play and to stay in the mystery of being in the sorrow and joy and the cuts and the healing like the pink and the blue they're just points in the frequency our hearts intertwined in body and meaning our hearts intertwined in body and meaning our hearts intertwined in mystery and meaning our hearts intertwined in body and me. When our hearts intertwined in the country, 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 our h
Hiding in Love by Featherburn. So, how how many times did it take you to get the French right for that? Oh, um, I I don't know how many times it t- like how many takes it took. You know, like in the studio, um, it definitely took me a long time to get it. It was one of those like m- like there there are moments like in in our live show or whatever that that like took an ungodly amount of hours to like to come up with that moment it's mm-hmm. just a moment you mm-hmm. know it goes by so fast but like you've spent hours yes. on it you know so like i mean thank god for youtube that's you know like that's wh- where i got it i just a pronunciation of that poem and oh, i just yeah. replay it over and in fact i ripped it and made an mp3 so i could like study it you know uh, uh you know put it on repeat and just right. have all of these you know what i mean so i uh, I don't know if it took me more than one take. It might have, but mm. like it took me a lot of time to sure. get to the point where I was prepared enough to execute it. You know, well, I couldn't tell the difference, but I hope I hope it. <laughs> I hope because you know for, for something about French people that you always get really really annoyed if you yeah. mispronounce things I, correctly. I'm sure it's only so so. You know, right. I have a, I have a bandmate. My my bandmate Chris Devitri is um he plays fiddle for us and um. He never says anything, but I always wonder because you know he's he's fluent in French, you know, oh, and, really? and his family is too. Like he's gracious with me, you know. I know, I know. There's like something in there that he'd be like, "Well, Milo, if I were you, I would say it like this." But he never says anything. You're just like looking over there as you're right. singing. It's like uh, I, I waiting of, for something. I, I think about it, you know, like when we're on stage or when we're in in practice. It's probably like he's like, "Ah, oh, that's okay. Never mind." It's not. It's not worth worth it. (laughs) He's doing it well enough for everybody who doesn't speak French. Right. Exactly. One one day you're gonna get somebody come up like that. French was awful. I just want you to know know. that one day the French would say that. I'm sure they would be like, dude. I've heard stories about the French where uh, an American comes in and they think they got it, but um, like they go into a store. And every day they'll sort of buy something, but eventually they just know what 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 they'll get, so they'll just leave it there. And uh-huh. they're like, and like, oh, they know me so well, but no, it's actually that they just don't want to hear your French. Right, right. <laughs> they'll they'll go out of their way to like to not hear you <laughs> speak incorrectly. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> so what's upcoming for for the Van Featherburn? Uh well, you, you know, like I said, oh yeah, um, you know, it's strange. Like I feel, uh. Like, I don't want to reach out for gigs, uh, for Milo solo gigs, you know? Because I could play a lot, like, most of those songs I could play, like, by myself. They're not mm-hmm. as good. They're not nearly as good. You know, right. the band is, like, they bring it. But um, it's like I don't want to burn, uh, like, a notice on myself by reaching out to play these songs as Milo solo, you know? So I've been, you know, reaching out to play in 
in Buffalo where my, I have family in Buffalo and family in Erie, you know, like, so I don't have anything here coming up. The soonest gig that I have is, is, is an Oktoberfest gig because I oh. finally got off my butt and learned some polkas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 10 years of playing the accordion and I didn't learn a single polka. And, but like year after year, I would get all these invites, these inquiries, you know, like, Hey, can you play polka? And I'm like, I don't, I actually know polka. So, you know, we we're going through a pandemic <laughs> right. last year. I might as well, you know, like learn something. So what's an accordion without polka music? Yeah. And I wrote my first polka too. So it's like, yeah, yeah. right. Right. So you can watch for it. It's called polka eyes. And it's kind of like, um, I don't know, you know, in songs there were, there's at least a grain of truth, but like Mm -hmm. not maybe, maybe not much more. Right. Yeah. So it's like sort of the, the power of polka, like the, the, the premise of the song polka eyes and maybe I'll play it someday. Like on, on our, one of our pages is like that a, the polka player goes and he's creating this music, but there's a woman that, you know, has his, has her eye on him, ah. you know? So, so yes, you know, she, she, he's playing music and playing music and I, she's got the polka eyes, right, right, right. you know? And that's what the three verses like go through the course of the day of like this accordion. And, and like at the end, you know, everybody's packing up, everybody, you know, the couples are staggering home to, you know, do what they do at home after a polka party. And, um, and then, like, the question is, is is she waiting for him? Right. You know? <laughs> but, of course, like, in the world of, like, where accordion is king, mm-hmm. of course she's waiting. Of course eyes. she is. She's of course got, she is. She's got the polka eyes. It's polka. Of course it has to be. <laughs> so there's a lot of levity, you know, that you have to have as an accordion player, I think, just because, like, I don't know, it's the brunt of a lot of jokes. I mean, I think it's coming back into style cool. Dude, I you know? love polka music. Are you kidding me? I think it's cool. It's awesome. It's so cool. I, I, there was a setting on my piano as a kid. It was polka. And I, I just, <laughs> and I kept, I kept, why? You'd go to I, polka. I, 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 I started playing polka on the piano. I'm like, yeah. I love this. It's 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 like the, the Russian kind of mix, just upbeat. Uh-huh. It's like boom, bop, yeah. boom, bop. It's real upbeat. Like it, learning those songs. Yeah. It was definitely like, I was just like, <laughs> yeah, it's a, but it's so it brings much light. Fun. It brings light. I think polka, like you know, we need we need light and we need d- to dance and just like yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a place for it, you know, for sure. So um, if you if you are a drummer and you would like to be a part of this project, please do contact Mr. John. Where can they contact you? <laughs> oh well, you can you can. I'm at Milo at Featherburn dot com. One word, Featherburn. Milo yeah. at Featherburn.com. And be sure to check out all of his other projects that he's got. It, they'll be in the in description below. You're on Facebook, Featherburn, Facebook, Fe, uh, Spotify. You guys got Spotify? Uh-huh. Yeah, it's all that stuff all is that up stuff. on all the all the platforms. Like, you know, we have, what, uh, you know, an EP that we re- released in 2018, and then we have two more songs that I cooked over the pandemic. And yeah, and you guys have some stuff that in the works as yeah, well. Yeah, for sure. Right. We got lots of stuff in the works. Like, we... <laughs> We just need, that's all we need. That's all we need. We need right. a drummer. Like, yeah, I think it's, I, I think, you know, I believe in the cosmos and, God, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think there's a plan out there and we're going to find the right person and all this stuff. So it's like, okay, we're just accepting, we're just being patient and, and putting ourselves out there to, mm-hmm. to, to find. So if that's you, I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So definitely check out his websites, uh, johnmelosich.com and featherburn.com. Uh, and with all that said, you uh, please, if you're on the radio, we're going to continue this conversation live at facebook.com forward slash the story, Corey Rosen. That's C-O-R-Y-R-O-S-E-N. If you've liked this, if you're on Facebook 
and uh, listening into it so far or on Spotify, please uh, check us out on the Facebook or Instagram page, the underscore story underscore podcast. That's where you can find all upcoming guests. And we got some really cool people coming up. And you can buy some, if you really want to support us, you can buy some merchandise. And I really, really appreciate that. With all that said, we're going to get you guys back to the radio. And we will continue here. <laughs>